Welcome to It's No Fluke, where nothing happens by accident, and every creator's journey is way more impactful than the destination. Lance Festerman is iconic when it comes to events. The Fanatics event CEO is leveraging 25 plus years of entrepreneurial expertise to innovate with Fanatics Inc., focusing on creating unforgettable live events for passionate sports fans and collectors. When Sheik and I sat down to discuss sports, events, and tackling, pun intended, the biggest and most exciting challenges of his career. Before Fanatics, Lance was at Readpop, the organization behind New York Comic Con and other events for more than a decade. Lance's career has centered a lot around fostering fandoms, nurturing communities, and spreading happiness. Ask him what his message to the world is, and he says to be kind to one another. And he has always been kind to us. Hi, Lance. Hi. Nice to be here. <laughs> nice to meet you again. Um, so you talk a lot about passion and how live events and experiences such as Comic-Con bring people who are passionate about the subject. How is a fan's passion different than someone who is passionate about the same thing but is also working in that field like you? Yeah, I see. So the basic question is, uh, if you are passionate enough to do it for a living, yes. does that look different than a fan's passion? And are they the same? Is one greater than the other? Is uh, This is what I would say to people that, so running, you know, Comic-Con events and video game shows and now um, large-scale sports sort of fandoms, uh, when you're interviewing people, they tend to think like, this is going to be awesome because all I'm going to do is work on the thing that I love. Uh, and you sort of tell them, it's like, you know, if you worked in an ice cream shop, at a certain point, you get sick of ice cream. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like you, you are so immersed in it that you, it's not that it, it rings the joy out of it for you. It's that you're sort of good. Do you know what I mean? Like you do it all day. <laughs> and so then when you go home at night, you sort of want to do something different. Uh, and also building large scale uh, experiences, events, cons, whatever you want to call them, uh, can be fairly consuming. So a lot of times you don't have time to continue with your passion. So yeah. on the video game side of things, it would be like, oh, you have no idea like how powerful my game and I'm playing 12 hours a day. It's like, you may not love this job in video games because you're not gonna have as much time to play video games. So you just have to like balance it out and recognize yeah. that it's super exciting that now you get to like pursue your passion as a career. Um, but also it is a career, it's a job, you know what I mean? It's got a certain degree of responsibility that comes with it, so. so uh, that... I feel that, I was gonna say, I feel that Lance because uh, I worked at a, a hamburger chain that will not be named when I was 16. <laughs> And it was like, at some point I was like, ah, it took me like a decade to go back because I was like, yeah. you know, I just, I got a lot of the yeah. free product. Um, yeah. Are all passionate fan bases, now, now that you've worked with a lot of different kinds of passionate fan bases, whether it's be like, you know, concerts, whether it's be events, comic cons, uh, gamers, sports, are all passionate fan bases the same or are there nuances? And then the second part to that question is, do you get really excited working with passionate fan bases or do you feel the responsibility of having to deliver for passionate fan bases? Yeah, totally. So of course, of course, nuances amongst all different types of fans, right? They're not all the same. They're, they're quite different in terms of like, you know, think of it as like, uh, traditions and mores yeah. and norms and, you know, all that is different, but under the hood, right? 
like what is driving the behavior is all very, very, very similar. And I'll, I'll give you like a good example. So at one point in time when I was running ReadPop, we, you know, had the Comic-Con events, but we also were doing business with the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championships, where they lock them in a cage and they beat each other um, senseless for a prize. And those <laughs> fans, right, could not look more different. But yeah. what was driving them was the same, right? It was a part of their identity. Um, they would travel for it. A huge chunk of their extra disposable income was spent pursuing it. Um, they celebrated it at all times. They had specific heroes they loved. They had language. They had community. Like all of those things were really, really, really similar. But instead of, you know, dressing up in a furry costume they were in an ed hardy t-shirt you know what i mean like so their their costumes were were different uh but the the behavior underneath it was very similar um and that's actually really kind of um heartening if you think about it right because all these yeah. totally different people that uh, in real life probably have very different belief systems and politically they're very different but there's a similarity that kind of runs through all of these people and without getting you know second question i'm already being you know squishy and uh and and, and hippie-ish but that's a very affirming thing about humanity right um so that that is is a good thing i think um in terms of your second question which i'm stalling to remember it right now but acting like i'm being thoughtful no it's, um, about, well, it's about passionate fan bases like are you yes. do they make you excited or do you feel the weight and responsibility of making yes. sure you deliver for them Thank you for, for, for giving me the cliff notes on that. Yes, I'm, it's yes. Um, it's really um, a privilege, right, to be able to build things that people love and something that people will camp out for overnight. Like that is like feels the privilege to be able to create fun for other people is amazing, right? To recognize that like my job is essentially to make people happy. Like what could be better than that? Um, the flip side is you know, uh, tears, uh, anger, you know, frustration, despondence when you don't get it right. So it totally cuts both ways. Like, and it sounds a little bit cliched, but it's a, it's a privilege. Um, it's also a responsibility, you know, cause if you don't, if you don't deliver on the experience that those folks are so passionate about, it hurts. They're upset, like emotionally. And it's not just like, oh, that's too bad. They didn't have the shirt I wanted in such, you know, a large size. Like, you ruined their effing life. And, mm -hmm. like, it's, it's really disappointing <laughs> to ruin someone's life. So, you know, you don't want to get it wrong. Uh, so it's kind of to say that passion cuts both ways, right? It, it giveth and it taketh. <laughs> You talked about read boss a lot, so I want to ask a question related to that. Um, what is the art of being ready? Because I saw an interview of yours, and you mentioned that you know they approached you to fanatics approached you to ask you about how you uh, manage the read pop. What's the business model like? And you were just being nice and like telling them what's the business model like. And a couple of conversations later, they ask you if you want to join fanatics. So what like how does someone always be ready for an opportunity when it presents itself um okay it's a really good question by the way and i think to me it's just being open to to good things happening and 
it's there's a difference between like manifesting you've heard that term and like believing like good things will happen i think that's magical thinking and dangerous right i think the idea of saying um having a skepticism towards well what do i get out of that why why should i tell you what do you want this that's not terribly healthy either because it closes off options and it it, it puts people on their heels like just leaning in and being curious and like, well, why do you want to know? How can I help you? What do you like? I, my, I mean, you've heard me say this, I think before, but like, I don't have any education. I, I, I'm not like, I don't have any pedigree. I'm not from, you know, a fancy family or anything else. Like I always have felt like the one thing that I have and I can choose it, I can choose it. So I'm in control of it is sort of my own sort of outlook towards people and trying to be um, kind when I can be optimistic open to opportunity um and then just let it come right and and don't judge it right away what is this why did it just, just kind of let it be and let it, let it explore a little bit i'll give you one other analogy if you know like improvisation at all like acting improv they always say like don't ever go to a dead end right don't ever say no don't ever say i can't don't ever say i don't know anything about that because it gives the person you're improving with nowhere to go Right. So you always ask an open ended question or you give an open ended response or something that adds to whatever it is that they're bringing up that then keeps the improv going. And I've always thought about like relationships and conversations like that, you know, like instead of saying like, I, I don't know, I don't I don't think so. You say, like, yeah. I'm not sure. Let, well, well, tell me about it. You know, I've never done that, but I've done this like and then you kind of start building and you might find common ground. You might find ideas. You might uncover something by kind of disarming other people and bringing more out of them. So I guess in the short answer would be, it's kind of been a survival technique for me. <laughs> like if you're not smart and you're not trained and you're not rich and you're not handsome, then you, you better be nice. <laughs> Lance, that's a very Minnesotan thing to say. And I feel it. <laughs> 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 oh jeez, yeah <laughs> you know yeah oh don't you know oh gosh I yeah relate. yeah um i i'm gonna assume and maybe and tell me if i'm wrong here but in doing events i like to always make the assumption that you have a story and it's probably a story at some point where something went wrong unexpected <laughs> and the end result looked great and no one ever knew do you have that story? <laughs> um, I probably have a lot of those stories. Um, the one I think of often, because it's the most sort of like comical in one sense, is I was doing a, doing a show. It was a it was a publishing book author show, and we had this big like lunch event. So like everyone paid money to come, and it was like five amazing authors on the stage. I don't remember even who they were anymore. Um, and and you had lunch and you sat there and you listened to them talk and they were being interviewed by media. It was cool, it was really cool. Um, like half an hour before this event was to happen, the catering company, the catering um, organization came to us and were like, yeah, we're on strike. Like, sorry, it's got nothing to do with you, but like, we're in an impasse in negotiations. And so we're not going to be, we're not going to be doing this event for you. And so you had, you know, 800 people in a giant room waiting for a five course meal. <laughs> and like, there was nobody to do it. So it was like, Oh, 
I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, so I'll say, oh, <laughs> shucks. Um, but it was like, okay, good. So it was terrible. But in the end, it was like, you know, the team and I all got together and we figured out how to be, you know, wait staff. And we served a, a whatever six course meal to the six, 700 people that were there. And um, it was kind of fun. It was sort of awful. But as like a person, you know, in charge of the thing and you're going like to your customers and being like, here's your chicken. <laughs> like It was kind of great. It was like, they're like, wow, like, you're like, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for bringing me my lunch personally. <laughs> so at the end, I think people thought it was like this amazing personal touch of service that we were providing. Uh, but we're actually, we were in the middle of a giant labor dispute. <laughs> so uh, that's a good one. There's other ones where just like, you know, pe people that bought, I remember distinctly, uh, when Walking Dead was huge, right? It was the number one show on TV. They always they always debuted at New York Comic Con because New York Comic Con was typically like a week or two weeks before their premiere. So like on TV. So they would bring the whole cast, you know, director, everybody, and they would do this massive thing. And so it was like, you know, whatever, 3,000 seats in the room and 25,000 people wanted to get in. Uh, and so it was like, you gave out passes and invariably people that, got passes, didn't get in, because it's just, it just not, nah, I shouldn't say invariably, occasionally, uh, people that should have gotten in didn't. And I just, I remember distinctly one time, like 15 people or 16 people, just an angry mob that didn't get into the Walking Dead panel had surrounded me, right, in the queue hall, which was, you know, where the, everybody waited to get in line. And they didn't get in, and they had their passes, and they should have, and they'd already missed most of it, and I'm surrounded. But there's also, like, 20 feet away, several hundred more people that had been waiting and standby that also wanted to get in. So I'm trying to figure out how to please this angry mob, right? When I'm in the wrong, probably, but not please them too loud so that the other 400 people that want to get into that room are like, what? These, he's fucking letting those people in. Let's get them. You know what I mean? So like, I, I just like, like having to like talk people out of their emotional pitchforks and torches and things like that. And, I don't remember how I did it anymore, but uh, I still I still get notes from some of those people occasionally. They're like, "We were going to kill you. We were going to we were going to decapitate you, and we ended up hugging you. What did you do?" So you you figure out you know your own little magic tricks, I guess. <laughs> wow, you and crisis management. I feel like you are the expert of it. <laughs> because <laughs> I had read Bob, I feel like you've had all sorts of crises. <laughs> Maybe, but you, I told you I had to delay this to, for 15 minutes taking my kids to school. So you'd think I'd be good at crisis management, but yet at half an hour, I'm screaming from downstairs like, you're not doing that. So, you know, sometimes it doesn't translate to home. Um, I want to ask a sort of hard-hitting question here now, uh, because we're talking about crisis and the Fanatics brand, it's it's immensely, it has an immensely powerful customer base, right? Um, it's moving into betting, trading cards, live events, and yeah. all seem like natural extensions when it comes uh, from a retail point of view, like a business point of view, where the uh, core customers are sports fans. Do you feel like the possibilities are limitless or is there a core consumer profile you have in mind for Fanatics events? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Uh, we, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. Um, 
our hypothesis. I'll talk about the hypothesis and then I'll talk about what I'm concerned about. So um, you have to build communities for someone and someone specific. If your mission is to build it for everyone, it's just, they don't work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like big, big, this is, oh, everybody, everybody. That's yeah. not a, that's not a target market or target demographic, everyone, you know, for very few yeah. things. So our hypothesis is we're going to build these events for collectors. And by that, I mean, trading card collectors, memorabilia, mm -hmm. you know, signed stuff, game worn stuff, right? Um, those folks have that DNA of passion that I kind of described to you. Like, I got to be there. I got to be there. I got to get that thing. I want to make sure I, so we're going to build for them, but that's also a small niche community. And they have events that are kind of meeting their needs. Um, they're not, they're maybe not the most like high production value or exciting, but they're meeting the needs of those collectors. So we're going to start by building a good collector show, and then we're going to build out in concentric circles that I think can be, if we do it well, fairly unlimited, a lot like Comic-Con. So if that sounds at all familiar, it's because it's exactly what we did around Comic-Con, right? We said, let's build around the original IP, comics, you know, dealers, collectors, artists, right? And then you start to move out into broader and broader concentric circles. Now, um, you know, the, 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 the Marvel Cinematic Universe did a lot to feed the top of the funnel of people that were interested and help us, you know, expand those circles quickly. Um, but sport has so many things that are just as big as the MCU in their own right. So we think that's possible. What I worry about is the idea of building um, Comic-Con for sports. Okay, that, that sort of terminology might be unique. But a broad-based sports event is – that's – the magic isn't the idea. I, I am certain tons of people have had that idea and tried to do it, and it hasn't worked. And so the question is why? Can you build a big, broad-based event around sports when sports are typically regional, right? Like right now, Jeff's not wearing an NFL jersey. He's wearing a Lions jersey. Do you know what I mean? He's not wearing a football jersey, right? He's wearing a Lions jersey. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the question is, like, will that Lions fan say there's all kinds of other things about sport, entertainment, fashion, culture, lifestyle that are related to what I love, but maybe not directly. It's not just having, you know, some of the, some of the great Lions, all three of them. Um, from history of the team on stage, it's about having great players um, in general and telling their stories and talking about their. So we've got to get that right, that passion, and then more broad-based mainstream. And I, I just worry that that can be a tough needle to thread with sports that is so local. I'm trying to think top three lines right now: Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, Chris Spielman. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Well done. <laughs> uh, it's debatable on the third. It's not debatable on the two, but it's just sometimes every fan base has one person. They're like, well, that guy's not that great. And you're like, no, he is. That, that's our guy. Um, same point in that question, right? Is I think you're kind of describing it. And this is, would have been my question and you were already kind of answering it. But you, you start with the people who are the streamers, the breakers, the people who are, you know, very much in that 
industry that are kind of the influencers who are the most passionate, right? And then you fan out from there because I think you're right. Not your market isn't a hundred percent of sports fans. You can kind of grow that out, but it's getting the buy-in because you're right. There are these, these conferences. Like I know a lot of people regionally that go down to Indiana and into just a very random spot of Indiana. And they're like, well, here's 2000 people doing a card show. And so there are these events, right? And they have these schedules, right? They're, they're like, Oh, we're out in Scottsdale. Like I, I know a lot of breakers who quit their jobs in like, like high executive jobs because they're like, I can make 400 K just doing breaks three times a week. Um, so these people are passionate. So is that the plan is to kind of get the most passionate people and fan out? Correct. Um, and to build a great collector show and then fan out. And what, where I say like, um, you know, big broad based sports events have never really succeeded. None exist. So one will surmise it's been tried and hasn't succeeded. Um, but I think one of the unique things that we've got in our favor is, is fanatics. Right. Um, I think a lot of probably folks that said, I want to build a sports show. Um, they, they weren't, they didn't have some of the relationships that we have. They didn't have some of the content in house that we have. So when you, and it's one of the things that attracted me to this opportunity was yeah. you look at fanatics and you know, that's a stock you want to buy, right? You're like, that is a company that is uh, aggressive, growth-minded, understands its customer base, and has more or less unlimited resources to pursue those things. Like, and a smart, charismatic leader that is clearly hiring, present company excluded, smart leaders underneath him. So it's like, you look at the fundamentals of the business and you're like, yeah, why wouldn't I want to be a part of that and try and leverage that whole universe of, of assets and resources to build something really cool that, that hasn't been done before, but resembles from a DNA perspective, some things I have done. Yeah. And that in summary is like why I was like, yeah, let's go. Like let's, or as Michael Rubin would say, let's fucking go. Um, let's get after it. So, Lance, how is a live event about something live that is sports different from what you've already done, which is like film, television, comics. How, how are the two things different? I think one of the biggest differences is what I had stated around the regional movement, right? There isn't someone who's like, who's like, well, I only like the Marvel comics that are written in Tampa. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Like if you like the canon, you like the canon. Um, where in sports, it's sort of like, I'm going to, I'm not going to go where there's a bunch of Giants fans. I'm I'm completely a Jets fan, and you, you're going to you're going to run into that a little bit. Um, so I think that's a huge difference. Um, also, there there is a track record or a tradition around the collecting, right? The card shows that Jeff was talking about. There isn't really a tradition or a track record around um, what else we're going to build. So I think that people heard the term Comic-Con for a really long time. And it was like, once there was an on-ramp for them, they were like, oh, that's awesome. I'm super interested, right? Um, I want to go do that. I've always wanted to go do that. Oh, I've heard so much about that. Oh, I saw it on the Big Bang Theory. I want to go. There is no such thing here. We're, we're creating outside of the realm of the card show, which is what we're trying to kind of bust out of. Um, there just isn't, there isn't a track record. We got to explain it. What is this? Why is it for me? Um, what am I going to get when I go there? What's the point? All that story has to be told. And I think that's a huge difference from uh, some of the other uh, communities that we've built experiences for in the past. 
There's a so interesting that like you were talking about the power of fanatics, right? I I feel and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like there is an underrated nature of fanatics in in the market and in understanding that you're working with a database that only like the Googles and the Metas and a lot of people have when it comes to a large customer database. So you know uh, customer preferences, you know fan bases, you know who's passionate about what. You have all of that, right? So I would assume that was one of the most attractive things about working with a brand. It, it's um, I don't know how a a company that's valued at thirty billion dollars can be underestimated, but it is a little bit. And I, I think, think so. And I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, I think the, I'll tell you the reason why, because up until the last pick a time year ish, eighteen months, whatever, Fanatics wasn't a brand. Fanatics mm -hmm. was a licensing company. Do you know what I mean? No. You know they. You didn't say, oh, my God, I love Fanatics. You said, oh, I love the Lions. I mm -hmm. I feel like I've seen that website before. Oh, yeah, I got my jersey. I got my Lions jersey from there, right? And so I think that's one of the ways it was underestimated was it was producing all these things that people love, but they didn't necessarily love Fanatics. And um, I, I think that is starting to change in the last year to two years for a few reasons. I think one, you know, our, the CEO, the guy that convinced me to come work there is a guy named Michael Rubin. And he's a really, he's a, a brilliant guy. He is a compelling leader and, and visionary. And I don't throw that term around. And I think Michael himself is starting to define what Fanatics is as a brand. And that's, that's helpful. And also they looked at it and said, well, if we're only going to sell t-shirts, how much can we do? And mm -hmm. they, I think they didn't, they didn't love the answer. So they're like, great. What else then in the universe of sports can we do? And that's where they went and bought tops. And that's, they went and said, great, let's start a sports book. They went and said, let's buy a high-end clothing company, Mitchell and Ness, to complement our licensing business. They're designers. They're not licensors. Cool. Okay. You know what? Live selling platforms where content community and commerce come together feels like a natural evolution of what we're doing with our license business. Let's find somebody to build us a live selling platform. And then they were like, well, how do we acquire more customers? How do we teach people about all these things we're doing? You know, live events are a great way to build deep relationships with your customers. So they started to put these things together. And I think now you're starting to see there'll be more definition as you walk into the sports book at the commander's stadium that's fanatics. You're walking around in it as they grow their retail at so many different stadiums and, and places where you're walking into the fanatics store to buy product as you're placing a wager as you're now it's becoming a brand, not just a vehicle to give you the things that you like. And I think that's a big evolution for fanatics and how it'll you'll start to see it underestimated, I think, less and less and become more yeah. and more of a, a real household name. Lance, you mentioned something right now and something that I heard before also that live events create depth and digital campaigns create breadth, like more breadth. and more. Exactly. Got it. So is one superior, is one better than the other or what's the perfect balance for, the, for both of them? Yeah, good. And again, you're putting that NYU education to to good use. You know, for me, it was like, oh, eight years to develop that thesis. You're like 30 seconds in, you're like, no, 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 I got this. Um, 
I don't know that one is better because you know you can't you can't have one without the other. If you have a a broad but shallow relationship, especially let me back up. Let's use fanatics. If you're talking about selling licensed T-shirts, then probably a huge but shallow relationship is perfectly acceptable, right? Just put the ads in front of Jeff with the lion stuff on it, and he'll probably buy something eventually. Not too tough. But if you're saying to Jeff, hey, 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 I also want to give you some rewards, and I want you to use those rewards to just try a, a wager on our... You know what? Have you ever thought about watching a breaker? Do you know what breaking is? Let me help you. Let me show that to you. you know, have you ever seen... A, it's something that costs twice as much as what you spend, but it's a beautiful piece of fashion. That's a lot harder to do in in, in a cost-effective way in a digital-only, broad, shallow campaign. So a big part of our mission is to build a deeper relationship and to, to activate fans for other offerings that Fanatics have. And if you think about it, they play that out. You look at, well, what's it cost for, I won't name names, what's it cost for a sports book competitor uh, of Fanatics to acquire a customer if they're starting cold? What's it cost for uh, a live selling platform to acquire a customer if they're starting cold? Well, our proposition is very different, right? We have, we have you know, an eight-figure, nine-figure email database, right? We've got all these different tentacles that can activate customers for different parts of those the company. So that's where it becomes a really compelling proposition is to say, yeah, yeah we're going to keep that digital campaign. But then we've also got these, these longer form, deeper on-ramps to build more complex, deep relationships with people. I think that's where... You know, our success won't be um, how much money did we make as a live event platform. Our success will be, did we grow the relationship between fans and fanatics? Did we increase the sort of brand recognition of fanatics? And did we activate fans for all other parts of fanatics? That's really, I think, our value um, in, in the ecosystem is depth. Yeah, you have you don't have disparate parts, right? They all work together, right? The, you have the current offer right now, which is new customer points bet. You get a $50 bet, $150 up to for a jersey, right? I have done these promotions, yep. by the way. Um, and uh, they work. <laughs> uh, nuance nuance, nuance. also is I think that you don't have to get one jersey. You can get up to $150 worth of product. So I have a very random Utah Jazz shirt because I needed to get to $9 more. But, but you, but this is true, right? You have like, um, you know, you have this wonderful new CEO coming in with Mitchell and Ness, right? You have the yep. points, but, yeah. um, part of it, you have all these different, um, you know, tentacles, right. That all feed into the same thing. And then, it, you know, I mean, this is a non-visual medium, but, uh, if, if we ever clip it out, somebody will see my excitement when you say eight to nine figure database of people. I mean, like, yep. that's the value. That was kind of what I was getting at when I was talking about like this is an underrated company because you have so much data. Um, there's a there's a specific question. I just want to applaud some things about how all of these things work together because it used to be that there used to be the Sears model or the the GE model of like oh we do all of these things right and it was like yeah but it's kind of hard yeah. to sell content and washing machines at the same time so these things should yeah. all kind of circulate. But um, I'll ask you a question, but we'll take a quick break. 
when we return, we'll talk to Lance about what he wanted to be when he grew up, how he got here, the wild way in which that happened, and what it's going to be like to build something incredible from the ground up in a very large organization. And, time permitting, we might talk about America's team, the 5-1 Detroit Lions. But first, the message from the Shorty Awards. The 2023 Shorty Impact Awards are taking place on the 13th of November at the Belasco in Los Angeles. Hey, wait, it's the day after my birthday. If you haven't confirmed your seats yet, do it now. The finalist list has been announced and the audience voting is now open till October 26. So get in there. Make your vote count. Check out shortyawards.com for more information. Lance, what's the biggest challenge in starting to get this off the ground? Um, there's a few, and I'll speak about it kind of personally, I guess. Um, yeah. you know, I spent 17 years building a company from nothing to scale. And along the way, I had to learn different skills. And at the end, I had to learn how to calm down, say less, don't distract the organization, you know, pick three things for the year that we'll focus on and hammer those things. And so I really had to learn how to run or lead rather a large organization. And that was very different from what it took to build a large organization. So now all of a sudden I'm back to building and I, I chose that deliberately, right? I love it. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot, but the transition was really stark for me. So going back to, kind of running in a hundred directions at once, knowing that 98 of them will lead nowhere. I'm not used to that. And the kind of um, uncertainty that comes with that, um, a little bit of the discouragement that comes with that, the lack of purpose that comes with that, right? Um, my purpose is just to run where I had clear purpose, you know, uh, 10 months ago. That's been a hard transition for me. Um, not like tragically hard, but it's just like it's using muscles that I haven't used in a long time and reminding myself that, no, 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 it's okay. It's all right that we don't have clarity right now. Okay. Um, so that's been a big challenge. Um, I think aligning, uh, aligning vision and process that I'm employing with the organization Right? The organization has its own personality and ethos and expectations. Um, and they don't really they don't know a lot about the live event space. And so I've got to help them understand what the process looks like. Um, that's been a challenge. Um, really leveraging my experience without becoming um, sort of captive or trapped in it, right? So saying like, I know how to do this, but don't assume it's all transferable. And finding that balance of like, you know, Am I overthinking this? Do I, do I already know how to do this? Just do it. Or am I underthinking it and making assumptions about I know how to do this, but it's a totally different market, different communities, different people. So kind of finding when I should lean into my experience and when perhaps I should lean away or ignore it. Um, all just like big challenges. And, and then, you know, there's a challenge of being fanatics too. Like you are the big, you know, 100 pound gorilla in the room and some people love it, you know, and some people are nervous about it. Um, no. Some people don't want, you know, I always give the example, like, um, 
the shows I built in the past, we were agnostic. Everybody was welcome. Well, now, uh, you know, we bought PWCC. We bought, you know, an auction house. So will Heritage come and participate in our event style? You know, because do they see us as, as comp like those are unique challenges as a as a brand entering the space. Um, but I think in the end, the biggest challenge is just picking the right thing and leaning into it. And when you look back, you go read pop, you can write the story in hindsight, and then it's a great story, fullest clarity and certainty. We know what we are. We're the largest pop culture event organizer in the world. Piece of cake. We run these shows, these shows, and these shows. This is the business profile. Here's the fan profile. This is what the customer profile. Bada boom, bada bing. Go forth, execute, and scale. Well, that didn't always exist. <laughs> I mean, we had to screw around a lot and make a lot of mistakes to get to that. And I think you start to take it for granted. Now, I just have a big open space and I've got to pick the right things uh, and lean into them or pick the wrong things and lean away quickly. <laughs> it's interesting, the difference, because you built Repop, right? And you, you established that brand name and here you have a brand name already, but you still have to build everything from scratch because it's a separate entity, but at the same time, totally. join. Yeah, I think... I don't think I realized how uh, helpful it was to fly under the radar when I built Repop. Keep in mind, like the, the parent company did nothing in consumer events, let alone pop culture. You know, they were a trade show company. So it's like they didn't really know what we were doing. They didn't care. And if we told them, they didn't understand. So it was like, great, we can do whatever we wanted. And nobody really knows. It's not the case with Fanatics, you know, like. Michael Rubin wants to know what we're doing. And yeah. the fact that it takes a while to build an event, that's not interesting to Michael. <laughs> Let's fucking go. You know, I'm not under the radar anymore. So that, that is, it has a, I think, a smaller margin for error than we uh, enjoyed in the past. Lance, this is going to be a weird and different question than anything you've had so far. But you got me yeah. to start thinking about this, right? Because of all this. What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> uh, and, and, and the second part to that question is, how did you get here? Yeah. So I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, I wanted to fly airplanes. But like back in that, back when I was young, like having specs meant you really couldn't do it. Like you, you were just precluded from that. That's obviously not the case anymore because everybody's blind. Um, or has glasses anyway, sorry. Um, uh, or I really wanted to be a teacher. I thought I'd be a really good teacher. Um, those are the two things or on Saturday Night Live, you know what I mean? Like those all make sense, right? Like those three things go together. So, um, <laughs> that was what I wanted to do. Um, I, I, um, I ended up here and, and I'll keep the journey brief, but, um, I've always been, um, I've always been counterculture and I've always been kind of a contrarian. And so, you know, if it was do this, I would be like, I'll do that. You know, like, you know, look up, I'll look down. You know, try it this way. I try it that way. Um, I was always counterculture and contrarian. And that can be really um, healthy when you're talking about innovating and building and being an entrepreneur. When it's about, like, formal education, it can be unhealthy. And so um, I, I never finished high school. I left high school when I was basically 16, 
and I just I just stopped going because it was uninteresting to me and everyone said go so I was like well I'll stop I won't go <laughs> so <laughs> I I my journey was really like you know I was a high school dropout um, my first several first jobs were just being a janitor I cleaned grocery stores I cleaned museums um, like. I worked third shift because that's what got me an extra dollar an hour or dollar fifteen an hour. Um, so I I worked. That was my journey, and I found sales as a way that I could um, that my lack of background or pedigree would be ignored because all I had to do was produce. Mm -hmm. And uh, from that, I got the attention of. Um, a couple of people along my career that took an interest in me that were um, bright, that were senior in organizations that were like, there's something about this kid that seems like, you know, he's, he's producing, he seems to be creative. What's his story? And because I made, you know, high risk or poor choices in my kind of formative years, it meant I had to always be the unconventional hire or the high risk higher as I built my career. And that usually meant someone taking a chance on me and someone going, he doesn't meet the qualifications. He doesn't have the experience set. Um, but, but, and so um, really until this job with fanatics, every place I went, I was the high risk unconventional hire that they were like, I don't know, let's take a shot. Maybe this is a high risk, high reward situation. And I've been fortunate enough to have people take an interest in me that way, um, take a chance on me that way. And then I've been fortunate enough to, you know, um, do good enough work to pr to prove that that risk worth it. Um, and well, you asked a minute ago about differences and how you know this current um, move is different. Um, I have never been the first choice for a job ever. I, I don't mean like. I'm not being modest. I've never been the first choice for a job. Uh, and so it's very unusual for me to now be sitting in this seat where they brought me here because they think I know better than anybody how to do this. And um, that sort of uh, confidence in me or being in that position is I've never been in that position my entire life. So for the first time, I'm the guy that that is the quote unquote expert. And that's just wild to me. So I'm kind of even within an organization I'm learning, I'm trying to learn how to carry that mantle that, you know, is different than um, I've ever kind of entered an organization or had to try and um, assimilate into an organization. So, um, so anyways, that, like I could give you a more like detailed story of how I ended up where I ended up, but like, that's the, the, the bigger picture view around sort of career development and choices and things like that. So. And it also kind of goes back to the opportunities, like being ready for those opportunities and someone saying, you know, we want you or being the second or the third choice, but you being like, I want this job. I want to do this. Being yeah. ready for it. And I think to a degree, um, the idea of every door being open, I've kind of had to think that way because if it's yeah. like, well, I'm a janitor. Okay. Well, all right, what am I getting out of being a janitor, right? Like, how am I going to, what am I going to learn here? How is this going to be a stepping stone? Because I'm going to be a janitor the rest of my life. But there's stuff I'm going to pick up here. You know what I mean? Uh, and like, yeah, so cleaning a museum, I know more about modern art than 
probably most art majors because I worked for two years at night around, you know, cleaning up giant modern art museum in the Twin Cities, right? So, like, I can tell you about Jasper Johns if you want to talk about him. I can tell you about Klaus Oldenburg if you want to talk about him. I can go down all that. And I'm a high school dropout because I cleaned the floors and I mopped them and I did all the stuff. You know what I mean? So, like, I learned, I got an art education out of that, you know? But what am I going to pick up from these different opportunities that are going to help me then find the next opportunity? So. How is it, how is it different? Or have you ever thought about starting your own separate venture? Um, because you have had such a long career and experience. Do you ever think about that? I certainly did. Um, I certainly explored it when I was kind of realizing, you know, maybe it was time to be thinking about my next move. And I think, I'm not sure it's for me. Maybe it will be after this, but I think I like a little bit more structure. And I don't have that much structure here, actually. Like, you know, I kind of, they keep saying, you know, do what you want, do what you think is right. You're here to do it. So I don't have that much structure, but I've got all these assets behind me. And I think right now, you know, I got two young kids too. So, you know, the idea of saying, forget a salary, let me go raise some money and, and just build out a concept. It feels a little lonely to me. It feels maybe a little more risk than I want right now, or that feels wise and maybe not my greatest strength. I like to have some, a few toys to play with and then off of them, I can build new toys. So I think that's where I'm at. I can see in a few years time, you know, if I'm successful here, that maybe that would be a next step. Um, but I, I, I counterculture, you know, give me a culture and then I'll build another one inside of it. That's, a little different like that's kind of the way I, I i roll i think uh kind of a swerve lance but what is an industry you can recognize right now that is not i mean you are going into an industry right now that has not really done this what's another industry where you look at it and go yeah you should probably do this like in terms of like building out communities of fans and live events yeah, where, specifically. Where do, you, where do you think the other untapped areas are? Yeah, well, I mean, if I knew it, I wasn't, I'm not going to tell all your listeners because maybe that is my next gig. You know what I mean? That's like, the right I can't answer. With, Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, I set you up. <laughs> I, I think I continue to be a little bit fascinated with sort of uh, like influencer and esports and like where are we going like all, all of like the stuff i built with read pop is really tied to more terrestrial and old school the way content was created and promoted and and i think that like i actually think what fanatics live is doing with live selling where that idea of content community mm -hmm. and commerce coming together my 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 friend has a company called network with no vowels, because that's, you know, the cool way to brand lately. Um, in what he's doing is, you know, content community and commerce around like high end kind of influencer driven exclusive product drops and things like that, like where, where all those worlds come together and then you throw in not, not necessarily connected, but also, you know, competitive gaming uh, and what that's looking like, because that business model hasn't been sorted out yet. Like, it's it's you know what i mean like there's a lot of money there but no one's making any and so like there's just some things where it's like it's clear that there's like huge dollars and investment and commerce happening in some of these areas but no one's really figured out how to bring it together vidcon twitchcon you know the esports stuff 
there's I don't know what it is yet, but it's like the way my kids who are seven and five are gonna consume content and buy and shop and just how it's all moving. I think that physical gatherings and communities will continue to have a role here, perhaps even more when you know malls are dead. Well, you know, a lot of these cons are pop-up malls, basically. They're pop-up experiences and pop-up movie theaters and pop-up escape rooms. And so what does that look like going forward and how will uh, those sorts of platforms evolve. I think that could be really interesting, but pretty amorphous in my head right now. If I might, I want to ask just a follow-up on that, because um, before you said it, I was going to say, oh, so you're saying don't buy a mall. Because... Yeah. But the funny thing or... is, is that... But, but what you're, this is the interesting thing about consumer preference, right? We still sometimes want the communal experience. We just don't want a oh, yeah. ball. Because we, we don't want yes. it all the time. We want it in isolated bursts. Because the kids you're talking about, right, they're they're more apt to want to buy direct from the influencer they know. And so with that work, you're reducing the friction there, right? You're allowing that to happen. It's like I always like go back to the Jonah Hill moment. I think it was his first movie, but Jonah Hill moment in 40 year old virgin where he's holding these two um, heels with fish in them. And he's at an eBay store and he's like, I would like to buy these. And she's like, well, you, you can buy them on eBay. He's like, but I'm holding them. I could just buy them. now, yeah. Right. So there's, <laughs> yes. like, there's all this, like you're, you're alluding to that. There's all this like disparate friction where you could just make that direct connection with where people are. But I love the idea that, yes, when you compare these things to like pop-up malls, you're right. People want that experience. They just probably aren't going to Bed Bath & Beyond. No, they're not. But if you can figure out, like we saw this, we ran ComplexCon, and we did this deal with Murakami, who we did all this merch together. And it's like people were lined up forever to just buy whatever thing it was from Murakami because it was, it was limited it was exclusive. And, you know, my friend that would launch Network saw that and thought that Network could kind of be the app-based version of that, and it has been. But, but like, I still think there is a place for the physical version of that. And so just how is it going to look going forward? And I think, honestly, you know, we talked a minute ago about, you know, online versus uh, in real life. And it's going to be a combo, right? How, how can you kind of merge the best of both experiences? And it's not virtual shit. Like, don't misunderstand me. It's not, you know, meta walk around the show on your computer. But there are ways in which technology as it merges further and further into our own, you know, will be able to then merge more seamlessly into a live experience where you get the communal in multiple different ways. So, um, yeah, I, I've got to, I've got to take some ayahuasca, hang out with Aaron Rodgers and sort this out, but I'll do that later. So no, bad, 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 bad idea. Bad idea. Dump it on the jets. Sorry. Go ahead, Mishika. Uh, on the flip side, I did want to know, um, how do you think the consumer behavior is changing? Because there are people who don't want to go to theaters anymore, like my parents uh, and even people my age do not want to go to theaters. And I, I am like the opposite person because I love going to the theater because of that experience, because I can laugh with 100 other people or cry with 100 other people. 
do you think uh, it's the same case when it comes to live events or is the behavior or consumer pattern different and how? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and I'll, I'll kind of refer more to my repop rear view mirror on this in that we, we saw ran a big video game show this past weekend in Seattle that we run every year, you know, and it was awesome. Right. And like the numbers were, were really finally there. And I think that the natural, the easy conclusion would be, oh yeah, consumers are comfortable again. You know, fans are comfortable being out there. I don't think that's it. I actually think what we've seen is if the content is good enough, people will go, Yeah. right? It wasn't that people were afraid to go to movies, that they were waiting for Barbie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. not literally waiting for Barbie, but they were waiting for an event to bring them. And I think which, when you, if you really looked at the show in Seattle, you'd look at it and go, oh, the brands came back. Look at what Nintendo did. My God, they built a giant, huge playground. Like not literal, but that any, Nintendo fan would die to go be a part of, right? And and the publishers did what? Oh, that's so right. That got people out. And so I think the bigger question is coming out of the pandemic. Do we sure customer safety, customer convenience, customer comfort? Oh yes. Okay, I'm not saying that those things don't matter. Of course they do. But when's the last time you felt nervous? You know what I mean? Like. I, I, the, we're, we're kind of past that to a degree. Yeah. To me, the question is entirely about how much has, um, how much have companies, content producers, in the broadest sense of the term, changed? And you know, looking at video games, they've changed a lot. How they how they produce, market, and distribute video games since the pandemic. And I'm not just saying because of the pandemic. I'm just using it as a timeline, though. As we all know, it's been things changed dramatically. So I still think if you offer people stuff that's amazing, you know, if you put, if it is, uh, if it's the Lions and the Colts, you know, you're not going to sell as many tickets as if it's the Pats and the Chiefs, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm taking a shot, uh, but but like th no, that's you're all. You're actually about. taking more of a shot at the Colts, and I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> you're okay. Two years ago, three years ago, Lions and anyways, you get my point. Like, one's going to sell Bengals, out and have yeah. high ratings. Yeah, yeah. One's going to sell out and have high ratings, sell out in person. The other one isn't. Like, that's the difference. It's not about are they comfortable. It's about is it good enough? Did it earn their time, their um, investment, their money? So I have a I have an important question I want to ask. But first off, Vincent, uh, when you were talking about you know wanting to be in a room and. And I did the same thing. I did. I did the Barbenheimer, and um, and wanting to like laugh or cry in a room with a hundred people. You don't know pure joy or the opposite of joy until you attend a Lions game and you cry with eighty five thousand people. Yeah. <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> You're like, we've got it. Somehow we have we have somehow grabbed defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, this happens to us all the time. But the question I really do want to ask is, 
is scarcity the best tool to sell? Because we're talking about this a little bit, and there's a common theme in some of the last few answers, is having, and, and pun intended with Fanatics, is having a shot clock and having a very isolated time in which somebody can engage with it, does that make it a better opportunity to sell? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, there's probably a scientific answer, right? There's a data-driven answer to that question that I don't know. I'm too nervous to do that. <laughs> You know, like this, this came up in a meeting where it was about VIP experiences or something. And it was like, it was like, no, no, no. The first X percentage of people just declined them. Just declined. You can't, you're not eligible for this program. They didn't even have to ask. You should just let them know they're not. And it was like, oh my God, I would never do that. Like, I'm just like, right. I'm just so happy you're here. Like, the last thing I'm going to do is tell any of you, you can't come. So it's just, I think back to your opportunity question and open-minded and what is, I, I'm not the guy that is going to be like, you know, I'm going to turn you down. I'm going to lock the door. I'm going to tell you, you can't, it's just, it's just not, I just, I, I'm just not built that way. So my point is there is a data driven answer that we should look to because me, I'm the guy to be like, Oh my God, no, I'm just so happy. Anybody showed up. So like, yeah. I, I can't, I, you know, I'm, I'm answering it from an emotional standpoint and not from a data standpoint. Because I think the models are different. I think very much so in your model, that is the correct answer, right? But then when, it, when you were talking about networking, you are talking about like limited drops, or I look at the yeah. sneaker market, and when the sneaker market is like, we're intentionally not going to make enough of these. And then you are totally. definitely going to want to buy these, even if like they're not even that totally. great. And then, then we're going to kick it to a couple of the YouTube influencers who have about 600,000 to a million, and they're going to talk about like, oh, wow, I've got Whoa. one pair of these. You, you totally. somehow have to get to these. Yeah, that's, that's... No, you're, you're 100% right. And I guess but, I, but I, I sort of, I kind of, I guess I'm separating like exclusivity from, but they, maybe they shouldn't be from, from like urgency, meaning if you come to one of my shows and you love it so much, you're going to want to buy that t-shirt, right? But afterwards, you, you may not be in the same emotional place. And so you may not want it. That's where I think exclusive is really helpful. And I guess that is a version of urgency, right? Like this may not be available anywhere else. I should get it here while I'm at the concert, while I'm at the game, while I'm at the, the con. Um, that is an offshoot of that sort of urgency, I suppose. Um, but I don't think of it as saying, no, you know, you got to do it or you can't ever. Um, but it is related, I suppose. Yeah. Final questions. Um, what... You you would at Repop for more than fifteen years. What will you miss the most about it, and what are you looking forward at Fanatics? Yep. So, uh, um, hands down, the people. Like, I, I'll get emotional. I love them. Like, I love the team. I loved the. I, I loved creating with them. I loved building with them. I loved leading them. They're just. They're just. They're just the best people. And they're the best people because they're the kind of people that whenever there was a problem, they ran towards it. Do you know what I mean? It was never a like, nah, I don't really do that. You know, it was always like, great, let's go. Let's solve it. Let's fix it. Let's do it. Let's get it done. And, and I've never laughed harder. I've never had more fun doing hard work. And um, I think it's a function of great people. I also think it's a function of um, a, a, a great culture where people were allowed to be themselves and they were allowed to be whoever they were 
um, there was some real simple rails that you had to abide by. Um, we didn't hire assholes because they were, you know, successful or had pedigree. Don't care. Like, yeah. I don't care. Um, and I just, they were just the best people. Uh, I did, um, my, my way of saying thank you was to invite as many of them as I could to Michigan, to my, to, um, where we live up here. I was like, look, you know, they all, we all have miles. We fly a lot. So it's like, just get here and we'll take care of everything else. So uh, over in July I had 15 or so 16 people from Repop that, you know, I guess I was closest with, but, um, and it was just like, it was so much fun, but the same thing applied where it was just like, oh man, we have, uh, we got to figure out this. We need gas in the boat. We need food for lunch. And we got to like figure out how to like clean up. And it was like, boom, everyone's like, no problem. I got to go because we solve problems and we have fun doing it. You know what I mean? Suddenly it's just all finished and somebody's come back with, you know, whatever. Like uh, it, just, it was so much fun. I'll miss that. And I'll miss the, the purpose. Like you don't, I think I took for granted that I got to go to work, you know, whatever, 15, 18 times a year at iconic brands that people loved. You know what I mean? I showed up to work at New York Comic Con. You know what I mean? Like like I showed up to work and my office was Star Wars Celebration. Like like that was so cool. And now again, not having that and starting from fresh, you realize, whoa, what a cool opportunity it was to be a part of building those things. And then once they were built, you know, just to be behind the curtain on those things um, and to wear that staff shirt was just so neat. And I miss that a lot. Um, I think what I'm looking forward to most at Fanatics is they are, and again, there's a lot of adjustments here. They are such a world beater of an organization. Like they don't want to just do things. They want to do things the biggest and the best and the most transformational that you possibly can. You just can't bring them a big enough idea. And like, I've not really ever been a part of something like that. And it's almost intimidating back to like needing to learn, you know, update my own style, grow some new muscles, exercise something like you literally can't bring them a big enough idea. And I used to be the guy that would enter the room and kind of blow people's minds with a big idea. And like, I am, I'm one of a thousand there of people that have huge ideas. And that's like, that's a great like challenge, opportunity, test, right? All kind of rolled into one. And so I'm interested in seeing personally what I'm capable of doing. Like, what am I, how can I grow? How can I evolve? How can I learn? Uh, and what can I do in an environment like that with uh, the resources and vision of that organization? You know, and that that's terrifying, right? There's a there's a song that says, uh, uh, "Excitement is merely the beginning of fear." You know, that's <laughs> that's how I feel some days. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's so exciting. Fuck, I don't know if I can do this. You know? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, excitement is the beginning of fear. Lions fans. Also, um, yes, exactly. You got it. When you're when you're giving that example of being with all of those people and being able to problem solve, I was like, I will reach out anytime I'm in an escape room for ringers. Um, yeah. So when we when we close these, we do this thing called keep it short. It's three questions. Um, they're short questions. Your answers don't have to be short. That's up to you. Um, Vinchika, do you want to do the first one? 
Sure. Um, okay. What can what can the fans expect in twenty twenty four? Because you're launching then. What can they expect? Fun. Excitement. <laughs> Genuine. Uh, genuineness. Um, those are the three things I would say. If I'm trying to keep it short, because all my answers have been like a mile long, so I'm going to try and keep my answers short and see if I, I can do I like it. The, I like the Zag. Okay, I'll do question number two, and Vishika knows what question number three is, so we, we got this locked down. Um, I was I was Googling this to make sure before I asked you this question because I wanted to be buttoned up on this, so I was doing some live Googling while, while on this pod. Um, pre-sale tickets for Firefest 2 have sold out. What does that tell us about consumers? <laughs> Okay. And la and Lance, before you answer, I just want to point out that they do not have a lineup. They do not have a location. Yeah. And if you Google it or if you get on there, it says the Caribbean. And they're like, oh, where in the Caribbean? And it's just Caribbean. <laughs> okay. Here's what I will say. I had a lot of thoughts. Yes. People crave an experience. Yeah. They crave an experience they can talk about. And why do people mm -hmm. put videos out of somebody, you know, getting in a fight on an airplane? Because mm -hmm. they want to be like, you won't believe what happened to me on my JetBlue flight from Orlando. Yep. Like, that's why. Because, like, I was there when that fucking shit went down. Right? It doesn't matter that it was terrible. So I think it's like, whoa, Jesus, this could be an absolute shit show. I gotta be there. I, this is gonna be stories to tell out of this. So I think people crave an experience, and yeah, we're gonna build good experiences, but doesn't necessarily have to be right. Sometimes the 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 hijinks are what makes the experience worthy of a story at a party. You know. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, before question number three gets asked, I just want to point out that some of the tickets are eight thousand dollars. Hold on, I gotta uh, send a note to somebody to raise our ticket prices. I I want to share something. Um, so India is host, hosting the Cricket World Cup this year, and you guys are not going to believe the India Pakistan match. Uh, it's it's probably taking place in Ahmedabad, the city I'm, I am in right now. The ticket prices in dollars are sixty six thousand. Sixty-six thousand dollars, and that's the and that's like tickets sold in black, if you if you know the terminology. It's insane yeah. because people wow. are crazy about India Pakistan games, and yeah, and it's the World Cup, and it's in India. Like you put it all together, and it's like that's unbelievable, unbelievable. Wow, it, it is crazy, and the hotel prices are like. Uh, two to three lakhs per night, which is I I can't convert it. Like divided by eighty four, that's how many dollars you're spending. But it's insane. It's so funny. It's insane. Wow. Okay. That's nuts. Nuts. Yeah. So, final question: Who would be your recommendation for the next guest on our podcast? Michael Rubin. Awesome. Okay. I don't know whether he'll do it. I don't know if I can get him to do it, but like he's, um, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. I was drawn to him because, uh, so I met him. The first time I met him, he's a high school, 
he, he barely finished high school, if he finished high school. He is a college dropout. Um, he went to Villanova for a minute. Um, he's, he's from a solid, you know, family, but not, not any wealth, two professional parents. Um, he, he is, he's, he's done what he's done and he's, he's built a number of companies on grit, his own drive and his own belief in himself and vision and willing to just try. And I have so much respect for him and the way he operates. Um, that and he and he's candid, he's unvarnished, um, he's self-deprecating. In you know, here's a guy that his you can Google his net worth. I don't need to tell you, and he shows up every day. He shows up harder and more than anybody else, and he knows everything about the business. Everything, like he's just like he is. Um, he's someone I admire, and I can I admire him in particular because I also find him to be relatable to me and my own experience, not that I'm <laughs> having that worth in his ballpark, but I'm saying what he's done with what he you know, started with is unbelievable. Uh, and I really, I just, I just respect him uh, immensely and he's very entertaining. So that, that I'm kind of like now going into like more of like, who do you admire than just who should be on your podcast? But that's why I would say you should be on your podcast. Cause I think he's a great, they're both, he's a great, they both work. Um, it's great. Yeah. Either that or Rodney Pete, because, you know, great Lions quarterback from, yes. I was trying to think, I, I'd go Jerry Ball, one of the great nose tackles, yeah. you know, of the last 40 years. I'm, I'm try, I was trying to think of uh, good, good old school Lions that I could pull out of my back pocket. <laughs> we, 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 we claim Nate Burleson. I had the pleasure one time of uh, meeting the late Charlie Sanders. Um, but um, yeah, we, we claim Nate Burleson. We're, we're, we're fine. We're happy. We're happy for Stafford-ish. We're, we've moved on. Yeah. Yes. I like that you claim <laughs> Nate Burleson. Love it. He, uh, famous Nate Burleson. So we, uh, he went to Seattle. He was a Viking. And the Vikings signed a great guard, Hall of Fame guard from Seattle with this very novel uh, contract. So they got back at us by signing Nate Burleson to this huge contract, which he wasn't worth. And then they <laughs> cut him and he went to the Lions. And he was great. Yeah. He has, he has he moments. Was great. There you go. Sorry, that was that was a little too deep dived on the rabbit hole of sports. <laughs> Not for me. I, I loved it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't get the references, but I I keep trying understanding uh, like American sports. <laughs> I'm gonna come Which up with get... some freaking analogies for the next time we talk. Okay, I promise. Awesome. I, I would I would tell you, but you could like. Even people who follow sports are not going to get the Lions references, and that's actually the humor yeah. in it. They don't. They don't know. They don't care. That you know, nobody knows Lions lore. It's like the seventeenth like Disney Plus show in the MCU. Like you have to like dig deep. We're like getting way. We're getting way below Moon Knight before you start thinking about the Lions. Oh my god! Sorry, Moon Knight. Okay, I understand yeah, okay. that perfectly. You're right. <laughs> okay, You're good. Right. I, I'm sorry that Moon Knight caught a stray there too, but Lance, <laughs> we appreciate this so much. Um, you talked all about all the all the things that you said about Michael Rubin. You were in this interview, and we appreciate it so much. Thanks. That's kind Thanks. of you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's fun. I always learn about myself when I get to talk and and have these sorts of conversations with intelligent people. So, thank you for the therapy session. I've got some things to work on. I recognize that. <laughs> I remember Thank the you. last time we talked, Lance, you, uh, I asked, what, what's your advice to us? And you said, 
uh, be nice and you're always nice. So thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to talk with us. <laughs> My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you guys. Bye. Thank you. All right. Um... Lance is humble in a way that isn't fake, curious in a way that pushes creativity, and empathetic in a way that helps him understand what anyone attending anything would want to leave feeling. Because events aren't about analytics, they're about the feeling you leave with and take with you and crave to experience again. It's No Fluke is an original podcast from the Shorty Awards. It's hosted by me, Jeff Barrett, and today, my co-host, Venshika Chudravedi. It's produced by Jun Soon, cover and episode art by Chelsea Shizano. If you like this show, please leave a five-star review, share, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any feedback or guest recommendations, send an email to info at shortywards.com or DM Shorty Awards on Instagram. We'll see you next week.